0: This show is a proud member of the Nerdy Legion Podcast Network. Get more at NerdyLegion.com. Enjoy the show!
1: You ready to talk pro-wrestling? I am. Good, because I am too. So, uh, we were asked by uh, Carolyn to chat up the Bret Hart Montreal Screwjob Incident. She had several questions about it, and uh, definitely couldn't answer them over the Skype. So, I mean over the Skype, over the, the Twitter. So I said we would talk about it this week. And so of course we to are. do that. What was that? He
0: said and here we are.
1: Yes, and of course to do that we had to watch Survivor Series 1997. And uh I know you rewatched it. What did you <laughs> I haven't <laughs> watched the pay per view. The entirety of the pay per view, probably since ninety seven. I've watched the uh the screw job portion of it or i've seen it many many times in, in replays or whatever but i haven't watched the whole event in a good 20 years uh what did you think
0: so the funny thing is i watched uh i managed to get through all of it up to uh the last two matches which were stone cold and own heart and then the screw job uh yeah so i haven't watched both of those but just like you have said i've seen the screw job recapped and replayed yeah in, in i that mean match and yeah, um, the the Steve Austin Owen Hart one was wicked short. It was like a four minute match. It was terrible almost like it, you had the, the the messing around
1: with first Lafon and Neidhart at the beginning of the match and they all get sent to the back. And then then Owen and, and Austin are in the ring, for, like you said, like four minutes together. And then Austin hits a very lackluster stunner and, and gets the pin. I mean, it was such an anticlimactic match.
0: This, this whole pay-per-view, it just – it, God, it was bad.
1: It was. Like my general consensus was it was just bad. I mean let's let's break it down real quick. I mean real, real quick. Uh, you had seven matches total on the card. The opening match was a four-on-four. And all the Survivor Series matches, by the way, were four-on-four matches. You had the New Age Outlaws and the Godwins against the Headbangers and the New Blackjacks. And what threw me off on this one – was that the New Age Outlaws? I I don't think they were called the New Age Outlaws when they were introduced, and they came out to the Godwins' music.
0: Yeah, this was before they became a thing, yeah. really. Like they it was w- just starting, which is kind of odd. And like you know, this wasn't really my era. Like I was not actively watching wrestling at this time. Yeah, it was. But, I mean, uh, it was kind of just getting to the end of, of watching it and losing interest because of the direction things were going, but. Um, so it was interesting going back because I've pretty much always known them. I mean, I knew you know Billy Gunn from The Smoking Guns. And I knew yeah. Road Dog from his work with Jeff Jarrett. But like this was the beginning of the the next segment of their career, and like I didn't know anything about this segment, and so it just yeah. really felt odd.
1: Yeah, and it was weird because the I, first of all, I like the Godman's music at this time. It's a very just simple like. Uh fiddle, but it's not happy go lucky. It's it's pretty badass actually. Pretty menacing music, um, but it's simple. So it was just weird hearing them come out to the Godwin's music and not the Rome, because they hadn't really established themselves yet. And then like the match itself was fifteen minutes long and it wasn't good.
0: Yeah, when uh, you when there's an elimination that is an abdominable uh, abdominable abdominal stretch pin. Yeah. That, yeah. that does not bode well for the whole match.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's how Bradshaw eliminated, uh, eliminated Henry Godwin. And then Barry Windham got pinned after a clothesline. Mm-hmm. And Mosh got uh, eliminated after Billy Gunn reversed a bulldog. So essentially, Mosh went for a bulldog and Billy Gunn just reversed it to like a, a, a side suplex and, and pinned him. Uh, at least Phineas got pinned by the, their finisher the stage dive and then and then Road Dog Schoolboy Bradshaw and Thrasher got pinned after a uh, guillotine leg drops for the new age outlaws to be the survivors of the team wasn't very good no. wasn't very good at all
0: it was so, and, I, I have a bigger point once we recap all these matches too to make with uh, yeah. the shit quality of this too
1: yeah oh uh, good good uh, I can't wait to hear it. Uh, next up, we have the Truth Commission, the Jackal, the Interrogator, Sniper, and Recon. Now so These
0: guys come out and I literally go, what the fuck is this? <laughs> <laughs> I looked up these guys and I was like, this is such just like an out of the blue. Like, I did not know these guys existed. And even well- though I didn't watch wrestling for so long, for me to not even know that somebody existed surprises me.
1: Okay, so the Truth Commission was – they are supposed to be like a South African militant group, mm-hmm. and they were led by the Jackal, as you saw, uh, Don Callis. And this would be the only time he actually dressed like them. Otherwise, like he, he – after this, he kind of made his own look, and it, it became a little bit different of a group. But anyways, um, so Sniper uh, – is a Canadian professional wrestler who was actually pretty big up in Canada trained by the, uh, Eduardo Carpenter. And, um, yeah, he was, he was actually pretty big up, up in Canada, but that was about it. Um, uh, recon was Bull Buchanan. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you remember him or not. He ended up, he ended up teaming with uh, big boss man for a while. Then he became B squared with John Cena for a short stint. Um, Went to All Japan, went to Pro Wrestling Noah, um, retired from the ring in 2014. So – but yeah, that was Bull Buchanan, which at the time – I mean he became Bull Buchanan after this incident. Mm -hmm. But anyway, so this was a four-on-four match against the Disciples of the Apocalypse, Cross Chains, 8-Ball and Skull. This match went about 10 minutes. Again, very, very lackluster. I mean – You had a pin in the first minute, I think, uh, when Chains was eliminated. And then, um, yeah, near the end, all of a sudden, you had a sudden uh, uh, rapid succession of pins. But anyways, the interrogator, a.k.a. Kurgan, was the sole survivor in that. And that was just a match.
0: Yeah, you could tell that that whole group is... They're trying to get a monster over in WWE, and right. so they have this big group to get the interrogator over as a monster, and man, yeah. how, how many failed attempts do you have to have at getting a, a giant know, without man. talent over? They've been pushing Roman Reigns for three years
1: and uh, in my opinion, without success. So I don't know what to tell you there. Um, the best part of this match was the Jackals work on commentary.
0: Yeah, he he promptly got eliminated so he could go out and do commentary.
1: Well, he started doing commentary, got into the ring, was eliminated, came back out to finish commentary. So yeah, that, that was I, I, kind of funny. Yeah, yeah, To
0: me, the Jackal just felt like a, a cheap Johnny Polo.
1: Um, it definitely wasn't what he wanted. If you listen to uh, "Killing the Town" with Cyrus and Storm, he talks about the character a lot and why it didn't work, and and, and every because he actually he didn't want to be a manager. He wanted to be a wrestler. Like that's what he was. He, but he also figured, all right, this will be my foot in the door, and it just it didn't work out for him.
0: Yeah, he was not a large man though, so I mean, he did not fit in yeah, with that no. group.
1: Uh, next up, and I had forgotten about this part of it i'll talk about in a second but you had team canada the british bulldog jim nightheart doug furnace and phil lafon which i you know i knew first and LaFon were tag team i forgot about their their short run uh as kind of like uh associates of the heart foundation Mm -hmm. but i love the fact that in team canada you have one canadian (laughs) yeah (laughs) and phil lafon you got american a a
0: british guy and then another american
1: Yeah, exactly. Uh, Against Team Team USA, Vader, Goldust, Mark Marrow, who with Sable. And I I completely forgot this was Steve Blackman's debut match in the WWE. Well, his re-debut match in the WWE. And I've completely forgotten that he was introduced as a fan out of the audience on Monday Night Raw and then that Sunday he was in the pay-per-view match, and if you watch right at the beginning, they talk about how Blackman uh, – he's got a black belt in karate, but he's not a wrestler. He has no wrestling training. First thing he does when he comes in the ring, hits off the ropes perfectly and drops an elbow. You know, like like the first thing he does is a basic wrestling move, but for a guy with no wrestling training, he shouldn't have been able to do it. Um yeah, and then they protected him by having him get counted out because he didn't understand he had to get in the ring by a 10 count.
0: <laughs> yeah. The, yeah. Oh, my God. The, this match, sadly enough, this match has uh, maybe not at this point in time, but like the, the people in this match actually have like the most talent out of any of the Survivor Series matches. The problem yeah. is, is they're all just uh, pretty much past their prime or not very good.
1: Right now or at the time?
0: At that time.
1: Well, okay. See, well, actually, I'm going to argue with that one because Doug Furnace and Phil Lafon were a phenomenal tag team at that time, and they were basically brought in, much like Vader, brought in, and then just not used
0: properly at all. Yeah, they, they weren't past their prime. I just they never, just yeah. I I never cared about them, and I don't think anybody watching this that was a you know WWF fan really like you never bought them, you know.
1: No, um, well, it's but, just the way they are pushed, they were presented. But, I mean, if you watched All Japan where they were killing it, I mean, um, Doug Furness gave Vader an over-the-head belly-to-belly suplex in this match. I mean, that was impressive as shit.
0: Vader was 400-plus pounds. I actually missed that. I I, I got to admit, there were I dozed off several times watching this over the course I of I
1: completely understand that <laughs> happening. This pay-per-view, this whole pay-per-view just wasn't good.
0: It's, it just uh, wasn't good at all. Team, team Canada, I mean, Bulldog and Neidhart, they were both past their prime at that point. Furnace yeah. and Lafon had no heat with them. Vader was past his prime. Goldust yeah. was in his uh, what-the-fuck-are-they-doing-with-him moment. Yep. Um, one of many of those throughout his career. Oh, yeah. Um, like, I would have said a, he was past his Vader's prime. Vader's a baby
1: but face, somehow.
0: Yeah, Goldust oh. has had several primes throughout his career, which is pretty impressive. Yep. But this is one of those moments where it's just like, you don't know what they're doing with him. Yeah. Um, I, probably one of the moments where Vince felt bitter about Dusty or something. I don't know. Um, and don't uh, know Mark Marrow never was good in WWE, WWF.
1: You know, it's funny. I, I never cared for him in WCW, but near the end of his WCW run, you actually started seeing him. He looked better in the ring to me like he was starting to use some high flying moves he was starting to get in more matches like the luchadors and i don't know he just looked better and then he left and he came to wwe and just started sucking again i
0: don't know yeah see i wanted him to be good in wwf uh because, I mean, I was a kid, but watching him in WCW, I liked him. because. But you were supposed to if you were a kid. He was, he was a big baby face, you know. Exactly. Uh, but going back and watching, uh, I stumbled across him in some random WCW pay-per-view. And, yeah, he was not good. And he, yeah, no, then he goes to he WWF wasn't. and, you know, I mean, he looked good. He was, you know, but he just, like, he, he had no performance. I mean, he worked as the character Johnny B. Bad because of the the crazy charisma but you know it doesn't translate to performance in the ring or anything like that I don't know I uh, I'm I feel kind of bad that Bart Gunn got knocked out by Butterbean in the brawl for all I didn't feel so bad when Mark Mer- Merrow got put in those kind of positions and got uh got exposed
1: <laughs> Yeah no I didn't feel bad at all
0: uh, Who is the fourth on that team
1: uh Vader, Goldust, Mark Merrow, and Steve
0: Blackman. Yeah, Steve Blackman. And he just they they made him work when they paired him with Al Snow and made it goofy. But that came down the road. But I mean he just was never a proper fit for wrestling.
1: I, I liked him uh with Al Snow, I actually thought they
0: actually, I liked him, well. him a lot. Yeah, they, yeah. I, I I wasn't watching actively at that time, but I've seen a lot of that stuff and they did really well with it. Yeah, you know, they took so, they took something and he was always awkward and, and different. They made it work. They paired him with somebody that got the best out of him and didn't yep. put all the pressure of the spotlight just on him. You know, somebody helped him along. Um, <laughs> all right, so let's move on. What's the next uh, terrible <laughs> match?
1: Uh, Kane against Mankind.
0: Okay, so that match wasn't actually bad, but that was one of the, like, why are they making it impossible to see what the fuck's going on matches?
1: Yeah, I like, understand. Um, red any lighting,
0: therapy. and, uh, I mean, they were maybe, doing
1: the weird red lighting, yeah. That when they like, with well, Sinkar had weird lighting. I'd forgotten about Kane having the weird lighting when he first came in. This was really his first big singles match after his debut. The you know the the month prior at Hell in a Cell.
0: Yeah, and this, uh, I mean, it wasn't an amazing match, and it was mostly just him beating the hell out of Mick Foley. No, but- mankind
1: took a beating went through table at the the ring one of the ring announcer tables yeah he just yeah
0: this is it's just a match where even though there wasn't a lot of spectacular about it Mick Foley is just such a damn good performer that yep you know and and I I got respect for Kane but like this match was one of the the few spots in this pay-per-view that weren't bad and it's because Mick Foley's perform he just he's such a good performer he makes everything look compelling
1: and honestly, with Kane, he's only been in the character for a month. I mean, he hasn't established, you know, his. He hasn't, you know, he's not broken in. You know what I mean? He's not uh, a well, well-oiled machine. Yeah, I mean, he we was trying machine, to transition
0: so. over from being fake Diesel. You know, it, it takes time. It's,
1: it, it's kind of like when you watch early Undertaker. And it's just he's just very slow and methodical, but he's not doing some of his signature moves, and he's just choking guys a lot. And yeah, yeah. it's the funny. I,
0: I came across him in WCW recently. I had never seen pre Undertaker Mark Callis, uh, and I came across him in WCW, and I was actually pretty impressed by him. You know, for because I knew what early Undertaker was like, and he, was that um.
1: Does that – oh, crap. We were talking about that recently, correct?
0: I believe so, yeah.
1: And I, po- It was uh, Capital Combat 90.
0: That's the one, yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: Yep, Capital Combat 90. We just, Aaron and I just talked about that a few weeks ago. I did a blog about it, and he's like in the opening match. And he actually does a lot of the things that he would eventually do as the Undertaker.
0: Yep, yeah, except a little bit quicker because he wasn't going for the slow and methodical without exactly. it. Exactly, yeah. Yep. All right, next match.
1: Uh, the Legion of Doom – Hawk and Animal with Ahmed Johnson and Ken Shamrock against the Nation of Domination, Rocky Maivia, Farooq, Kama Mustafa, and D'Lo Brown. Again, um, not a great match. Uh, the pre-show uh, promo, Ken Shamrock talking, I'm Ken Shamrock, I'm the world's dangerous man, I got a team together here of guys, guys like the Road Warriors, guys who know what it's like to grow up in a bad neighborhood. Like i Johnson.
0: <laughs> we're going to go
1: out there and we're going to, we're going to beat that nation of domination. Tell him Hawk. And I'm like, Jesus. And uh, then Hawk, you know, well, and then Hawk cuts a Hawk promo, which I, I popped for. And, um,
0: yeah, the only good thing about that team is Legion of Doom, and they're past their prime at that point. But
1: yeah, except Hawk got eliminated in the first two minutes of the match.
0: Yeah, which was stupid. I mean, the only yeah. oh my god, but seriously, that that's a team full of guys who are gonna legit injure somebody in the match. So I guess yeah. you might want to move them quickly.
1: Yeah, so Hawk gets eliminated in the first two minutes, and then Animal gets eliminated by countout because the New Age Outlaws uh, came out and he chased them. He chased after them uh, because they had on their spiked shoulder pads. And ultimately... That's rude. Yeah. (laughs) So ultimately it comes down to Ken Shamrock against D'Lo Brown and Rocky Maivia. And he taps them both with the ankle lock and becomes the sole survivor. And it was just...
0: Yeah. So to me, the only thing interesting about this match, and this is just kind of in the the flow of things. Like this match isn't critical in any way, shape, or form, but... um, you see, and throughout the pay per view, I'll touch on this a little bit more in a minute once we finish recapping. But uh, a lot of guy, you see, a lot of guys that are just before the big shift in their career that makes them huge superstars, and that's where Rock is right here. Is you know he's he's gone from he's he's is he, he's still Rocky Maivia. He's
1: this, still right? Rocky Mayavia. He's a heel. He's starting to kind of address himself as the Rock.
0: Yeah, but he's so still, he still Rocky Mayavia. Yeah, so he's. Uh, I you know because you go back and watch this without knowing exactly where the standings of people were here, and you probably assume The Rock is going to win this match, uh, but Cam Shamrock was the guy getting the pu- big push at that time. Um, so that was uh, yes. the, that was the only thing of interest in this match at all to me is just knowing that that was kind of in the, um, the the. That trajectory of his career, the transition to where he becomes one of the biggest superstars ever.
1: Well, not too long after this is when they kicked Farouk out of the nation. Mm -hmm.
0: Which is one of the best moves for him, got rid of that stupid gimmick and got him on to being Ron Simmons again.
1: Yes, and then he became an acolyte, and you're like, oh. But then they became the APA, and you were like, "Yeah." yeah. And they had that music that when their music kicked on, it was like, oh, someone's getting their ass whipped. Yep. Um, and then we have an intercontinental title championship, and we kind of addressed that earlier: Steve Austin against uh, Owen Hart.
0: This this should have been the best match in the card, and instead, it's a piece of shit.
1: Yeah, yeah, it wasn't entertaining. And then the final match of the night: Shawn Michaels against Bret Hart for the WWE Championship. We all know how that ended. Um, I hadn't watched the match in so long; like I remember them brawling before the match. Um, it was a lot longer than I remember. They they brawled for a good ten minutes before they actually got in the ring.
0: That explains and, why the match time was only twelve minutes.
1: Yeah, and then once they got in the ring and they rang the bell, they went like you said they went like another twelve minutes before uh before the whole controversy. And I'm so used to watching uh the aftermath, you know, him spitting on McMahon, him. You know, slamming the monitors around and, and everything like that. Seeing all that footage, I forgot that the pay-per-view ends very quickly. Like, they go off the air
0: mm-hmm.
1: very quickly. Um, excuse me. Anyways, yeah. So, I mean, that, that was the pay-per-view. As a whole, the best match on the card was Sean against Brett, in my opinion. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm
0: going to finish watching this tonight, too, once we finish yeah. this up. But uh, um, yeah, it's... If- it's it's gotta be. I mean, you got well, you know. I mean, you got two great performers in the match before that they fuck over with a four minute match. But yeah, um, yeah. I mean, Sean and Brett, they, you know, That's that's one of the things. Like going back and watching uh, Bret Hart wrestle um, any match, like he just executes everything so well that it's like uh, I was. I had picked up a while ago, I picked up a couple of old Ring of Honor DVDs that was like a com- just compilation of various matches, you know, yep. and seeing an old Daniel Bryan match. And it was against uh, Spanky, who would – Brian Kendrick. Yeah, Brian Kendrick. Is he still in WWE? He is a 205 Live competitor, okay. yes. Yeah, so uh, I they had a match. And man, Daniel Bryan just executed everything perfectly. Like he was yeah. great. And that's how it is watching Bret Hart, where he just, like, everything he did, he did so crisply, so well. He sold everything so well, didn't oversell stuff, but sold it well, and and all that stuff. And, you know, I mean, Shawn Michaels was a great performer, too, as much as I uh, despised him at this time.
1: those of you who don't know, Paul is a tremendously huge Bret Hart fan.
0: Yeah, you may not realize that. Um, <laughs> but I, you know, it's like, yeah, I'm a big Bret Hart fan. Cause he, he's the guy, I mean, that's like my childhood, you know, he was my, the, I, mean, I was a big Hulk Hogan fan, but like, it wasn't that long after I started watching wrestling that Hulk Hogan left WWF for WCW and, uh, and you know, Bret Hart was kind of, you know, as a kid, like I shifted my focus to Bret Hart. So, I mean, he's, yep. just he's always going to be that guy who has a place in my heart, but he's I, also, I, that's the type of wrestler that even now as an adult with having a better understanding of everything and, you know, knowing what a good performance is. Like, what made me love him is what makes me love guys like Daniel Bryan and, uh, you know, all the guys that go out there and they just, they do their job so well. And they may not always be the most charismatic guys. Like, Daniel Bryan, he got people to buy into him so big and it wasn't because he was great on the mic, because Daniel Bryan was not great on the mic. He was he was okay on the mic. At the right. Time, but like he was not great on the mic. Like he sounded awkward on there so often, but it didn't matter because he was genuine and he yeah. worked his ass off and you knew that. You know, so I mean he yep. didn't have to talk to get the whole arena chanting yes for him. Um and that's you know that's like that's how Bret Hart was. You know he Just he did his job so well, and you knew he was genuine about what he was doing. So he, you know, I mean that that's where his following came from from people. Didn't take the charisma of a guy like uh, Shawn Michaels, who was also a great performer, and he had you know a charisma and a showmanship that was uh, different than what Bret Hart had. But I mean, he can get on a mic and do a lot better. But honestly, that's a big part of why I dislike Shawn Michaels is what he did with that. I couldn't stand the shit he did with Triple H and Degeneration X and all that stuff. Like I just
1: Well, I mean, if you look at this show, this pay per view, Shawn Michaels is within six months is gone for four and a half years. You know, because of the back injury at the Royal Rumble and then he loses the belt to Austin at the pay per view and, and he's gone for four years, you know, uh four and a half years. And then Bret Hart obviously goes to W C W and I'm not gonna say his career ended, but I mean they, they didn't know how to use Bret Hart. Nope. You know, and you know, Bulldog was gone. Neidhart was gone after this. First and Fla- uh, LaFon quickly were gone after this, not too long after. Um, they stopped running Canada as much. They were running Canada a ton. Uh, I have a, 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 a I, I can't remember exactly, but I think they did 19 TVs and like three pay-per-views in Canada or something around this. You know, this in '97, in which if you think about it, you know, 12 pay-per-views a year. A third of a quarter of them are in Canada, and then like 19 TVs a year out of 52 are in Canada. I think this year, so they were running Canada a lot. They stopped running Canada a lot. So I mean, a lot changed in in WWE after this after this pay per view. Um, and honestly, for me, like Shawn Michaels, I. <sighs> I look back at the attitude era and it's kind of like when I look back at WCW at that time when I was watching it how old I was then it was cool I was into it but now it it didn't age well
0: Mm-mm.
1: and when I now when I think of Shawn Michaels I prefer to think of Shawn Michaels like the last few years of his career where every match was basically you know he was going out there and killing it and having fantastic matches
0: yeah and when he cleaned himself up as a person too and that's a big exactly. problem always how it he was a fucking junkie at this time
1: yeah and yes basically yeah and after this until he got himself cleaned up but yeah once he got himself cleaned up as a person their later antics like the, the the pg era of dx that was more like you know dad humor stuff i thought that was funny
0: mm-hmm.
1: um but i uh i had a big problem with bret hart at this time and it's because the way he was portrayed for like the last year of his career, basically since he lost the title to Shawn Michaels at WrestleMania 12. So like the last year and a half in WWE he had was a whiner, was just a whiny whiner, yeah. whine ass. And <laughs> like it was, was it
0: whiner. built him as a, a, you know, strong as a heel because he got under your skin, which, but
1: that was the thing. He wasn't a heel. Well, he, okay.
0: He wasn't a heel in the traditional
1: sense because he was still a baby face in Canada and a heel in the United States, which, that was pretty – I mean it was genius how they pulled that off. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Absolutely genius how they pulled that off.
0: And this uh, is just, when you, – you just said he wasn't a heel in the traditional sense. This was when the traditional sense of everything went out the window.
1: Oh, no. You're right because Austin, who should have been a heel, was a baby mm. face. And yeah, no. You're absolutely right. But I just – I don't know. I hated the way he was portrayed, but it wasn't a – Oh, he's such a wire, I want to see him get his ass kicked. It was like, oh, I just want to change the channel.
0: Yeah, I, I don't think it was done well. And that's what drove me out of watching wrestling along with some other yeah. – like I did not like the sexual content and the growing sexual yep. content. uh, And I didn't like the, the crassness of the Attitude Era, which was starting to show its face here. But they took my favorite wrestler, you know, my hero who I liked him because of the character, like not – Character like is and his character, uh, right. As a you know, he's the hitman. But um, his character is a person. That's why I liked Bret Hart, and they yep. just, they took a shit on that, and they didn't yeah. even do it to good effect. No, so, they didn't. So here's a point that I wanted to make. Looking at all the people that are involved in this pay per view, okay. If you had to go back to like, what is the root cause that led to this the screw job? What would it be? And I would say that the root cause is that Vince couldn't pay Brett. Uh,
1: money. Yeah,
0: yeah. Money. So uh, Vince- I think it's money. Yeah. Vince couldn't pay Brett the deal they already had made. Yep. Business was struggling. That's all understandable. Business is struggling. But Vince couldn't pay Brett. Okay. Let's look at who is on this pay-per-view. There's a lot of people here. Okay. Mm-hmm. I, have, I have three categories here. Um, the first category I'm going to read you is people who were either bad or essentially inconsequential in the grander scheme of things. Okay. Um, Henry Godwin, Phineas Godwin, Mosh Thrasher, Jackal, Interrogator, Sniper, Recon. Now, whichever one became Bull Buchanan, you could say he had more. Con- you know, maybe he doesn't belong in that list, but. I don't know how big Bull Buchanan was because I didn't watch during
1: that. Nah, month. he wasn't huge by any means. Okay,
0: so I'm I'm still gonna say he's inconsequential then. Yeah, uh, Chains, Eight Ball, and Skull. Who they did a little bit of other stuff, but still, you like I had to look it up to remember what else they did. Right. Uh, Doug Furness, Phil LaFon. They may have been bigger outside of WWF, but that doesn't really count here. Mm-hmm. Um, Mark Marrow, who Jesus. Uh, <laughs> move on. <laughs> I put Steve Blackman on this list, but I think that uh, I think in the bigger scheme of things, he may have been a little consequent. You watched at that time, like do you, you? Does what he did with Al Snow still have an impact right now?
1: Um, I think some of the funnier things that he did with Al Snow do. Of course, I think the biggest uh, memory people have is his match with Shane McMahon where Shane fell off the Titan Tron and then Blackman jumped off with the elbow drop in the hardcore match they had.
0: So Steve Blackman might – like he may have done more than I really kind of realized and like you kind of – But he wasn't he
1: wasn't around for a bit, like few years. Mm-hmm. You know, he wasn't around a long
0: time. So yeah, he he's straddling the fence there of being inconsequential. Ahmed mm-hmm. Johnson. Yeah. Ken Shamrock, which I know you can argue otherwise, but I can't – looking back and watching Ken Shamrock – It feels like watching somebody that, like, you liked at the time, but then later something horrible came out about. Like, just something does not feel right about Ken Shamrock ever in WWF. Um, And I I liked him at the time, and I wanted him to go over, and they tried to put him over. Yes. But, like, you go back and watch him now, and you're just like, this doesn't feel right. Like, they just – it feels like they're pushing something wrong.
1: I think Shamrock's best time in uh, the Fed was his feud with Owen Hart hmm. But yeah. that's because he was wrestling Owen and Owen was, in my opinion, better than Brett. So
0: it's it's like I don't know, it's like they were pushing a bully as a baby face or something like that. Like it just something was not right about it. Like you look at this you're like this is not right. They're doing something that is just like. Morally wrong here with Ken Shamrock. Well, I don't
1: know. No, and, and I get what you're saying there, because you have a guy like Shamrock, his his big push is his MMA, MMA background. He's the you know, ABC declared him the world's most dangerous man, and he's he's coming in there, but he <clears throat> excuse me. Um he's coming in there is being put over as, as a badass, as a guy who's gonna beat people up, and that's what he likes to do is beat people up. That's a bad guy. That's a bully, like you said. And yeah. yet they were pushing him as a face. I think that's probably why it didn't work.
0: Yeah, yeah, it just doesn't work. And it, D'Lo Brown, I put on that list. I, I know, like, I know he is a good performer, but yeah. I think still you look at the bigger picture and like, was he really consequential, or was he just always a, a good hand that was around?
1: I want to see where you're going with this.
0: Um, so yeah, some of these, like I said, you would have better insight on them than I do. Okay, now I'm mm-hmm. going to give you a list of guys who were past their prime. Uh, okay. Crush, I think he had a, a bigger impact overall, so I don't think he belongs on the other list because he was part of mm-hmm. Demolition. Kona Crush was a big thing for a long time. Uh, yep. But at this point, like he's definitely past his prime. DOA was... Yep. Um, Bulldog, Nightheart, both past their yep. prime. Barry Windham, past his prime. <sighs>
1: Hard for you to say um, that. It, it's
0: true. Like the, he was used like no. shit in that character and everything else they used him for. Yep. Uh, they even talked about that on the Pritchard show. Some and I was like, yeah. Like this, I, I knew Barry more from this than from like the other stuff he did before. So then, like, kind of learning the other stuff down the road, be like, wow, yep. they did that with that guy.
1: Yeah. Um, exactly. Yeah. Exactly.
0: Uh, Hawk and animal past their prime. Yep. Um. And is that all? I thought I had somebody else on there. Oh, uh, Vader, well, yeah. past his prime. And they they never used him all either, but he was definitely past his prime. Uh, so those are all the guys that were past their prime. So you add those two categories up, it's it's the majority of everybody on this show mm-hmm. is, you know, they're e- either like they're just a the guy at this point because they're past when they really mattered or they yeah. just never really mattered. Uh, so then you have other guys that go on to much bigger things. Uh Billy Gunn and Road Dog, you know, we we mentioned New Age Outlaws, like they got big. uh, uh
1: yeah, you think?
0: Yeah. Bradshaw, you know, going on to be JBL and you know Acolyte Protection Agency, like he he was huge after this, uh yep. you know. Um Oh I I skipped one. Uh this isn't really past his prime, but I mentioned this. Goldust was just in a what the fuck mode. Like Yep. He was, he was in purgatory. That time. Yeah. He was uh, in limbo. Kane was at the beginning of, of a big career. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mankind was in the midst of just his great career. Mm-hmm. Uh, Rocky, The Rock, like this was before he hit even the beginning of his pinnacle. Yeah. Um, Farouk would go on to be Ron Simmons again, and, and what he did in the APA I think was uh, a resurgence to his career because he had a big career before this too. So if it wasn't for APA, I would say he was past his prime. Um, Kama went on to be at least really popular uh, as the Godfather. Uh, Steve Austin was in the midst of his career. And this was he he
1: was he was rocketing upwards.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Owen Hart was still in his prime. I don't think he ever reached the pinnacle he should have reached.
1: No, God, Uh, no. He should have been WWE champion.
0: Yeah. And then Shawn Michaels and Bret Hart, obviously, they were both huge superstars. And uh, even though, as we mentioned, Brett left here to go to WCW and just never got used right there. like That's what hurts so much about this being such an abrupt ending to things is that he should have been able to do so much more. And he got it stolen from him by some some bad choices on multiple people's part, some, some unfortunate circumstances. Yeah. Um, but so my point in all this, you have... 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, 23, 24, 25, 26 guys that don't really fucking matter on this card. You have 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12 guys that either do matter at this point or are going on to being bigger. How the fuck could Vince not find the money to fucking pay Brett? Like, did he really need to have DOA and Los Boricuas and the Truth Commission and, like, all the uh, – b- how much do you think he paid these fucking MMA guys that didn't let really me shit?
1: Let me, let me break it down for you like this. Maybe this will help you understand a little bit. If you're booking an independent show and you have a $2,000 budget – And you spend $1,500 on your headliner. Now you're left with $500 to spend on the rest of the undercard. So your show's going to suck. And if your headliner can't draw and bring the people in or gets injured or something happens, you're screwed. If you spend $2,000 and you spread it out over the entire card, you're going to have a good card from top to bottom. And I think that's kind of to how you look at it.
0: And and that makes sense. I I don't disagree with the business reasons behind. Yeah. Business was struggling. Money. He wanted like Vince wanted Brett to be able to go get the money he deserved.
1: I think Um, the other thing as well is it's maybe not Brett didn't wasn't worth the money or Vince didn't have the money for Brett. I think Brett was going to cost Vince more money than he was worth only because at the where he wanted to go. Where he wanted to go with the product was with Steve Austin and the Attitude Era that they went with. Not with the wholesome family Bret Hart era that they were getting out of. And I think that would have been a problem. And kind of like how you stopped watching WWE because of the Attitude Era. Do you think Bret would have fit in that at all?
0: No. Yeah, and that's true too. He wouldn't have fit in with and that. Now,
1: but- and now you're paying a guy – more than you're paying anyone else to where's he gonna be on the card?
0: Yeah, exactly. I mean, I didn't like what they did with Brett for the year leading up to this either. So I mean yep. that all makes no. sense, of course, but you know when you boil it down to like what was the first root cause and it was Vince saying, Brett, I can't pay you this yep. deal, basically. It was But then the way the way events transpired <sighs> after that got shadier and shadier. And the reason this happened is because Vince was afraid that Brett was going to walk out with the belt because other people had done that to him. But yep. what was Brett all built on? Brett was all built on respect for the fucking business. Yep. So yes, and it's I a think risk, you but had... it could have been handled differently. And because of how it was handled and you know, you can argue both sides of the coin. Like, I mean, I heard, you know, when they talked about on the Pritchard show and, and Brett, you know, uh, Bruce just said, fuck Brett. Like they should have done even worse to him. Um, like I get protecting the business, and I, I like I get all the different aspects of it that kind of caused right. it. It's just unfortunate because if little things were handled differently, the trajectory would have been different. Mm-hmm. The bigger picture of what happened with this basically leading to the end of uh, of Brett's career at the hands of that uh, douchebag piece of shit Goldberg. Um,
1: that uh, sidekick to the head, yeah.
0: Yeah, you know, it, like it was, it was little things. Causing a snowball rolling downhill, and then unfortunate just circumstances that were accidents. You know, I mean, yeah, I think has, what
1: you'll see if you him look back getting kicked
0: in the head may not be uh, an accident, it may have been Goldberg was shit at his job. But how many shit guys did Brett wrestle? And if right. that didn't happen, and then it happens with Goldberg, and it, it's massive and almost cost him his life.
1: I think if you look at it, Brett. Uh, Vince re signing Brett for that giant contract that he couldn't afford was a, probably a panic result of Vince, like, if I don't have Brett Hart, I don't have anybody. If I don't have Brett Hart, I can't do this. And then I guess when he starts to see I can do this without Brett, and then ultimately I can't afford Brett, you know, there's people that said, there's been the conspiracy theory that I've read a lot is that the Montreal screw job was essentially, um, it was a work. And it was a work to help Brett get the, you know, get more money out of WCW, and to to get the money he needed, and then Brett would come back to WWE after that contract, um, because he got his he got his big payday in WCW, uh, but then Owen died, and that uh, that widened the the gap, if you will, uh, in the relationship between Brett and the WWE and that's why he never came back. And then of course, ultimately he has his injury from Goldberg, which ended everything for him. Um, uh. For a longest time. I mean, obviously, if, if, if you followed Brett's career, you know he came back in 2010 to WWE. Uh, he eventually somehow won the United States Championship for Miz. He was involved in a 10-man tag at SummerSlam. He had that match with, with Vince at WrestleMania. So, I mean, Brett came back and actually wrestled a few matches.
0: Yeah, um, that was cool to see. Like, I'm glad to see that because that did allow some kind of closure for me as a Brett fan, seeing him, you know, come back yeah. and smooth things over and uh – uh I
1: I think ultimately, you know, if you were a Bret Hart fan, I was a Bret Hart fan. I loved loved Bret Hart when he was in the Hart Foundation with Neidhart. I loved it when he first broke out as as a singles run. I mean, still one of the best matches I've ever seen live was Bret against Mr. Perfect in Portland, Maine in 1989 uh, when Bret was actually technically still a tag team at that time. But he just – him and Neidhart had singles matches that night. So, I mean, Bret's had some of the best matches I've ever seen. Uh so to see that his career ended the way it did, I mean it was it was it wasn't enjoyable as a Brett fan and and yes, you did not get the Bret Hart of old 2010 going forward when he had that last run in the in, in the WWE, but you saw a popular Bret Hart, you saw a good guy Bret Hart, you saw you got like you said, closure, you got nostalgia, you got your hero back again.
0: Yeah, exactly. It it allowed it to uh Yeah. To you know, get back to Brett being Brett, and you know, get getting the good things again. So, yeah. over time, uh, you know, I, I was getting, working my way out of wrestling by this point, anyways, because I was unhappy with uh, with the product. Like it was losing its entertainment value to me. I didn't like what it was doing. Um, so this was just like a big nail in the coffin for me as a, as a wrestling fan for many years. Um, and then, you know, of course, going back and yeah, I knew it happened. Of course, it's like, you know, you find out about yeah. something without watching. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, it's just, it's when you're a big fan of anybody or like WrestleMania mm-hmm. 12, like everybody talks about how great the Iron Man match was. I have never watched that again because it's not just that Brett lost. Um, it's yep. that. He got cheated by the rules because it's wrestling. So rules don't really matter, of course. Right. And it was it was a great twist at the end and all that. And uh, as an adult, knowing how things really work in wrestling, uh, it makes sense to do that. But um, as the kid watching and that was my first ever pay-per-view and I was so excited and to see him literally leave as the champion in a draw and I felt great about it and then to get fucked. 'Cause that's what that was. He had Sean in the Sharpshooter. If that was built yep. into the rules, he doesn't let go of the sharpshooter and he wins the match. Yeah. But instead and then as an adult to hear the stories about how Sean told the ref to tell Brett to get the fuck out of his ring. That, well that, that was
1: that the, was that was Brett's book. You know, Sean's book has a different thing, but
0: Yeah, well, since Sean was a junkie at that time, I don't put much faith in his opinion, so I don't know. It, just the, the character of Sean added into it is what makes yeah. me just get even more irritated by the whole thing. You know, I'm well, glad to see that Sean cleaned up his act and had such a great run later. But I can't have respect for that period of Sean's career because he got all these things that, yeah, he could perform, but his character wasn't earning them. And on top of that, like as much as they took the belt off of Brett to give to Sean, when did the... He lost his smile. Thing happened. Was that before this or after this?
1: Oh, he lost his smile before this.
0: Okay, so he already showed he, he was had unreliable. lost his
1: smile in uh, it was uh, February of uh, that of
0: ninety seven, actually. Yeah. So he like when he did that, he showed he was unreliable. Yep. And you know, you uh, you they talked about that in depth on the Pritchard Show too, and he told them he was injured but then he goes out there and cuts a promo about how he lost his smile yep and he just didn't want to be doing it anymore and so they they take the, the belt off of Brett this way because they're afraid of Brett screwing them and give it to the guy who like literally already screwed them right let them high and dry so I don't know this whole era is just a big mess for me and I think like it was a rough transition for them from what wrestling was into the attitude era as mm-hmm. much as I don't like the attitude era. It was successful, and it was uh, – it gave the WWE what time.
1: they needed. It gave them ratings. It gave them income. It made them be able to spread and grow as a company. It was definitely a giant boon in wrestling, not just for them but for ECW, for WCW. I mean if you think about it, at that time, every week, the com- if you combine the ratings of, of Nitro and Raw, you're looking at 10 million people every week practically or better.
0: Yeah, you know,
1: eight to ten every watching wrestling. And now if you combine the ratings of like Raw and Impact, it's, you know, four million. I mean, three million. It's just, you know, maybe we'll have another boon in wrestling. Maybe we won't. I mean, it seems like it's been a long time since the last big one. So maybe we're due. But another thing to consider at this time is Brett, like you're saying, was morally against what was going on. Mm-hmm. With this expansion of the Attitude Era, so it, it's hard, you know. I mean, I, and that was the other reason why he had issues with Shawn Michaels. You know, uh, you know, we've seen they were friends, and then we've seen that they definitely had their issues with each other. And you know, Brett didn't want to lose to Shawn. Shawn didn't want to lose to Brett. Allegedly, I mean. Ultimately, though, uh, we have five questions we were asked, so we should get to them.
0: Okay. Before those five questions, this last thing I'll say is, if yeah. they would have just had bread drop the belt to somebody else, they would have avoided all this, and then it would be completely different feelings about everything. And I know they, they, there's talk and about all that, whatever, and there's see, reasons and, and all and, that. And, right.
1: I, and I understand what you're saying, and I agree with you, but at the same time, if, if if you're a promoter and this is your employee, and you tell them that they need to do this, then they they that's what they need to do. Yeah, and d- I think that's that, what it that was. How worked
0: with Sean though? Was Sean doing well, what he was told to do?
1: Well, and I think that's I think that's what the big issue was with at that time. It wasn't like it is now. At that time, you know, the, what you did if you were leaving the territory, you did the honors on the way out. You know, if, if you were getting done, you did what the promoter told you to do, and you did you, what you call do business. And Brett didn't want to do business, and so back in the day, when someone wanted want to do business, you you beat him up, beat the shit out of them. and that was the end of it, and you blackballed them. Um, they couldn't do that because allegedly Brett had creative control in his contract. So, I mean, I don't know. I I, I I can't speak for why Vince did what he did. We just know it happened. Yeah. And the first question is, did HBK know this was going to happen? He broke character. They. Had, long and the short of it is yes. For 13 years, he denied knowing it was going to happen. He denied knowing anything about it. But yeah, he did. He knew. Uh, very few people knew. Earl Hepner, Triple H, Vince McMahon, uh, Gerald Briscoe, and Sean, of course. As far as I know from everything I've read or reports or documentaries, or whatever, those are the only six people that knew what was gonna happen.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And Pat Patterson was hurt because he didn't know. And but you know, you watch you watch Michael's reaction. After the match and all that footage, he watches reaction in the locker room from the uh, Hitman Heart Wrestling with Shadows footage. Um, great actor. Great liar. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, you know, but yeah, Shawn Michaels knew it was going to happen. Number two is what's the whole story? It's kind of a very open-ended question. I feel like we've kind of answered that.
0: Yeah, we've answered uh, a lot of it. But, I mean, if you're just talking about why they did the screw job, it's because – we just said that Brett didn't want to do the job for Sean because yeah. uh, of Sean's character. Um, and Vince felt it was the, the best thing to do. Cause like I said, I, I think a big part of it is Vince was scared of getting screwed by Brett leaving with the title. Cause that had happened to him, you know, a blaze of all people yeah. took the, yeah. the title and she, she even said that she regretted doing that. Right. Um, Of course, you know, Vince didn't mind so much when Ric Flair brought his title in, though, did he? Uh,
1: Well, (laughs) yeah, exactly. I think it was just I think it was all panic mode for Vince, you know, and as far as is Brett going to do this? Is he not going to do it? WCW is breathing down our neck. You know, we're losing. We know we're, we're, we're losing guys to them. They're 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 gaming on us. You know, people are jumping there left and right, you know, and and they've they've been losing their big stars and now they're losing Brett and he does want the title to go on TV and, and I think it was all a big panic and probably people in his ears telling him, you know, hey, you can't let him do this. You can't let him walk out of here with this with the belt tonight. And you know, you, you read one thing where it says Brett agreed to drop the title in the ring. Or to hand, go out on Raw the next day and, and surrender the title events, Vince. And, and then you read something else that's saying, like he said, four weeks left on his contract with WWE. He could have done the uh, the December pay-per-view in Springfield, Massachusetts and lost the belt to, to somebody. I, allegedly, he said he'd do that. Um, so, you know, I just – and then there's the other thing that said he just didn't want to lose in Canada. And then you have the other side of the spectrum saying, who's he to say he can't lose in Canada? It'd be like me saying, I can't lose in the United States. Like, And, you know, a lot of egos involved in all that. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So, anyways, the whole story is Brett allegedly wouldn't do what Vince wanted. Vince felt he didn't have a choice, and it happened. Number three, I thought I heard that Owen didn't want to go. Oh, down the zip line. Events made him. Mitch says no. Is is my faulty memory. Um, I'm, a, I'm I'm thinking she's talking about the uh, the Blue Blazer incident where Owen died. Yeah. Um, I mean he had rehearsed it earlier in the day. He was afraid of heights. Uh, you know I, I don't know if he didn't want to do it per se. It's not like that was the first time he'd done it. You know he'd done it at – on shows before there was the incident where he came down in the harness and got stuck in the aisle way type of thing. Remember? I don't know. You weren't watching then. Well, there was an incident where he got stuck in the aisle way. I mean, so I, I don't know if he didn't want to do it per se, but, um, you know, obviously it wasn't a safe thing because of, because of how, it, of what happened and how it ended. Uh, why was Brett leaving? Cause Vince didn't want to honor the contract. We, we kind of covered that. Mm. And then the last question is what was the whole Brett, Sonny, Sean thing? Um, and that was the rumor that Brett and Sonny were having an affair. And that's why Sean made the comment about Brett seeing Sonny Days uh, in one of the promos.
0: Yeah, and see, and that's also messed up, too, because uh, Sonny, when she came into WWE, was dating Chris Candido. They were the Body Donnas, and he was Skip. And yep. she starts fucking Sean Michaels, and she did. Yeah, he just kind
1: of by her own admission in her book, she mm-hmm.
0: states that. So. And Skip just kind of sits there and, and takes it because he doesn't know what else to do. He's in love with her, and he doesn't <sighs> want to lose his position, so he won't go in and beat the shit out of Sean, which is kind of what he should have done. Um, so that that's just another you know knock in Sean's character for me at that time. Um, and then to, then to see him throw that in Brett's face, um, the, the kind of rest of the story is that, uh, at that time they would have, there would be two locker rooms in places and all the boys would be in one and Sonny would get her own locker room. And Brett finally just said, you know what, screw this. So he went and shared Sonny's locker room and they would, you know, not be in the locker room at the same time and in decent times. Um, right, he, it's just like she has all there's all this space in this room. This doesn't make any sense. So Brett and Sonny became friends, and then Sean took that into uh you know, into a bad place
1: right. there was the rumor was going around that this was happening and and he brought it was brought up on on TV during a promo and and, you know, uh, allegedly Brett was told, you know, Sean told Brett, to, you know, to imply that he was gay and queer and everything. And Brett didn't feel comfortable doing things like that. Because, you know, Brett, and I'm not trying to uh, say anything negative about him by any means, but there's a lot of things I've read online or saw in shoot interviews or documentaries or books, whatever, that Brett at that time. Hit, Brett Hitman Hart wasn't a character. That was him. He truly believed in everything the Hitman stood for. And maybe that's ego. Maybe a lot of what happened with Brett was his ego got in the way of things. And that the world was shifting around him and he wasn't shifting with it. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, that's why he was a baby face in Canada and a heel in the United States. But, you know, he, I mean, he's definitely a Canadian hero, a legend in Canada. I mean, there's no doubt about that. You can't deny that.
0: Yeah. I um, I mean, you just kind of hit the nail on the head with Brett too. Like he wasn't going to change who he was and he, in the, you know, his character in the ring was who he was as a person, you know I mean? That's what attracted me to him uh, as, you know somebody I liked was his ethics and his moral and all that stuff was that was who he was. And yep. my frustration that, you know, just like you said, Brett was whiny Brett at that time. Mm-hmm. It was frustrating for me because I agreed with what he was saying. Like do yep. cold was a heel and everybody yep. started cheering him, you know? And Shawn Michaels was a douchebag and everybody started cheering him. And Brett was the guy that was doing like the right thing. And, he was getting booed because he was in opposition to these guys, but I don't think I don't think he could shift like he.
1: No, he, was he wasn't going to be able school. to shift.
0: And he right. wasn't going to be able to shift. Like he wouldn't have fit in with the Attitude Era. Uh, no, he wouldn't have. I d- I don't know how much he fit. In. I mean, WCW didn't go to the extents of what the Attitude Era was, but. I think that's why Brett kind of got lost there too. Is the, WCW just became a bigger and bigger clusterfuck, and unless you no, were yep. the guy who wanted to just take everything for yourself, uh, then you got more and more lost in the mix because they, I mean, they just had bigger and bigger stables. You know, I mean, start with NWO that had to split into two groups, and they just kept adding people and adding people till it was almost the whole fucking organization.
1: And WCW didn't know what to do with Bret Hart from the beginning. Wow. And Bret Hart's run in WCW was definitely marred by, you know, his his first match coming in. He overturns the Sting-Hogan match where, you know, there was no fast count. Like, Nick Patrick did not count fast, so that makes Bret kind of look stupid. And then he's like the referee. And then when he finally does Russell, you know, he gets put into a... Uh, a feud with Booker T over the TV title. And I'll never forget the pay-per-view. The match they had in the pay-per-view was a good match, but they show Brett the belt, and Brett just kind of looks at it, and he kind of, like, smirks, like, oh, well. You know what I mean? Like, and I don't blame him in this aspect. You know, he comes in. He was just their world champion. He was blatantly screwed out of the title, and they bring him in, and they put him in a feud for the lowest-ranked title on the card. I mean, Okay, yeah, they put the U.S. title on him eventually, and that was a little bit better of a feud. Um, But they shouldn't have put him with the TV title. If they just want to have a match with Booker T, have him have a match with Booker T. They had a good match. Bret Hart's best matches in WCW were his two matches against Chris Benoit. The Owen tribute match, and then the the finals of the Mayhem tournament, where he won the vacant world title. uh, Which, obviously, just two months later, he was... Out of wrestling, practically. Um, but the other thing that marred the WCW run of Bret Hart was, you know, uh, he took a lot of time off after Owen died. He has a feud with Goldberg where he gets speared and he quits WCW, and it just—it's just continuing that whiny character. Except now he's not a—he's not a babyface in Canada and a heel in the United States. He's just—he's just a whiner. You know, and he got some redemption with that tournament where he won the title and he had that great celebration in the ring. The match was in Canada and in Toronto and the great celebration with his family and everything. And then he do you remember
0: where he went out of that? I I don't remember any of this stuff. I didn't watch any of it.
1: Okay, so coming out of that, they turned him heel and had him join the NWO.
0: Yeah, of course they did. That's that was WCW just I mean, what the NWO stuff is what made them gain all that success and made them be able to overtake the WWE, but it's one of those things where it's not sustainable and they never made it sustainable. They just kept on making it bigger and bigger. And part of the reason it was successful is they gave these guys everything they wanted at the beginning, but that runs everything into the ground at some point. And I mean that's why Everything you just said is the guys who were in power and, and like had all this sway, all they wanted was for themselves. They didn't want what was best for the company, what was best for business. They wanted everything for themselves, and it destroyed the company. Yeah. And they deserved to get be destroyed running it like that. You know, I mean, uh, there's <laughs> – Bischoff is such an interesting character. There's like so many great things that he did, but he – He made and ruined WCW with, like, the same moves. And he was just as guilty as anybody of, of, you know, making himself more and more grandiose as it went on. It was just a weird thing. I mean, they made David Arquette the fucking champion. Come on.
1: Well, to go into it a little bit more, uh, at Starcade where he got the kick in the head... Uh, Bret Hart had Goldberg in the sharpshooter, and the special referee in that match was Roddy Piper, and Roddy Piper called for the bell and walked out of the match when Bret Hart had Goldberg in the sharpshooter. Goldberg never submitted, and no winner was ever declared, and so uh, Hart vacated the title the next night, and then they had a match you know, to, uh, to determine who was going to be the world champion to fill the vacant title. And that's when Scott Hall, Kevin Nash, and Jeff Jarrett all came out and attacked Goldberg. And yeah, yeah, that was your new NWO. Uh,
0: just uh, yeah.
1: and they called themselves NWO 2000. It was Bret Hart, Jeff Jarrett, Scott Hall, and Kevin Nash. Oh, uh, God, yeah, and uh. then his final, and then he was a heel. And then his final match in WCW was against Terry Funk in a non-title match that ended in a no contest in a hardcore rules match on Thunder.
0: So, so when did Goldberg kick him in the head in the scheme of all this?
1: Uh, the Starcade match.
0: So Brett kept going for a while after that.
1: Yeah, he wrestled he wrestled uh, Terry Funk and Thunder. Then he wrestled. Okay, so after joining the NWO, he then wrestles Kevin Nash for the title on the January 10th Nitro, and that also ends in a no contest. And then the, before the sold-out pay-per-view in January, that's when he had to relinquish the title.
0: So jumping way back to the Survivor Series 97 card and all those people I talked about that were involved in there, um, yep. and so much stuff that we've seen over time. So Vince McMahon is obviously a genius in so many ways. Um, and I I do not think he is a genius for talent across the board. You look at, you know, they have periods like this where they have guys that have stuff there. Mm-hmm. And he's pushing so hard all these guys that got fucking nothing.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And they just, you know, you look at this dearth of bodies that so much of it is useless. And you, know, you see the seeds of stuff that grows out of it. But, I mean, we even know that some of the things that became great things he was against or didn't see it. Um, like Austin 316 making those shirts, he didn't see it. Yep, he did. He thought that was stupid. And you know, Steve Austin made that character, but making those damn shirts just made it like so easy to catch fire because it was something that everybody wanted. And when everybody wants that, and everybody gets that, and you see that everywhere, you just buy into it. You know. Uh, so I don't know. Vince is an interesting character, but I mean. You know, over Especially over the last, uh, I don't know, five years, maybe we'll say, um, you know we've seen an era where it really felt like Triple H and what he was doing with NXT was starting to come up and like make an impact in the main card. Yeah. And now it's like, you know, one too many NXT guys get hurt uh, when they're trying to push him. And Vince goes, nope, we're going back to the same old shit. And that's mm-hmm. what they do. They go back to the same old stuff, trying to push guys that nobody wants to get behind because they don't have the the, the ability to to sell.
1: Wrestling um, is a very fickle lady sometimes. Mm. And uh, unfortunately, WWE, they're not the only thing in town, but they're the most easily accessible thing in town. And to the general masses, maybe they like what they're seeing, but Everybody I knows uh, that I know, they still watch it because it's it's wrestling and they love wrestling. Um, but they prefer like to watch NXT or indie shows or New Japan Pro Wrestling, which is absolutely killing it right now. And, or even some people's preferred flavor is Impact Wrestling. But um, Vince McMahon's been around for. Since '83 he bought the company, or '82 he bought the company from his dad. So what's that? 35 years. So I don't see him not being around. You know, I don't see them going out of business anytime soon. So it's almost like we have to grin and bear it until we get our next phase of whatever it's going to be. I just, Uh, you know,
0: that's what happens. I mean, you know, you can complain, and there are going to be down times where stuff does need to change and improve. But you know, I mean. They've been surviving and successful for so long, and yeah. uh, you know the the, the, t- the times are going to ebb and flow, and at some point Vince is going to step out of being in control of stuff, and it may not be till he passes away, which will be right. a sad way to have the change, because as much as we may want change in the product right now, um, I don't think anybody would say that they want uh, Vince McMahon, who is the cause of this being so available to us anyways, right. to you know to die. Um, I
1: mean, let's face it, if it wasn't for Vince McMahon and the WWE, we wouldn't have a big independent scene. We wouldn't have TNA. We wouldn't have a lot of... New Japan would not be breaking waves in the US market. Ring of Honor would not be... You know, like, I honestly feel like if it wasn't for what they've done and how they've managed to keep wrestling in the limelight like they have, you wouldn't have all these other promotions still running.
0: Exactly. Exactly.
1: I mean, yeah, y- you would still have rustling, but it would be not as good as what we have right now.
0: Yeah, that's why you got to kind of take sure. the good with the bad and, you know, yep. get get what positives there are out of what there is to watch. I mean, just like watching this 97 Survivor Series, it there, there was so much that just wasn't really worth it in it, but there's at least some stuff that is, and there's interesting seeds to see in there. Um, yeah. Yeah, but then you you get the stuff that you don't expect. Like, uh, you know, for me, one of my high moments since I started watching wrestling again was seeing Daniel Bryan, what he did at WrestleMania 30 was just amazing. And the story that that was over the course of a year or more uh, was just amazing. And, you know, now over the last few years, uh, you know, we've I mean, as much as we complain about what we have right now, we had Kevin Owens and AJ Styles as the two champions for a good period of time there. Yep. uh you know we and on top of uh Finn Balor was the first champion beating Seth Rollins first you know,
1: universal champion
0: yeah yeah first universal champion and and so it goes from him to Kevin Owens and yeah it's gone back to business as usual for now um but uh I mean look at all the great things that have happened yep and i don't you know i don't watch the the tv cuz i don't have cable um and i don't have enough time to try to like scratch stuff up and watch it all but you know we have all those guys are still there and now we've got shinsuke's up there and you know if if they utilize what they have at some point they got to start utilizing that stuff and we get, oh, you know, look,
1: we have a, a women's haircut. division now. We don't have divas and, and mud pit matches and bra and panties matches. And, and I'm not saying that doesn't have its place. It's it's the same thing with hardcore wrestling or death matches or whatever. I mean, everyone likes their own flavor. But, you know, I, I, I like women's wrestling. I like to see women who actually take it seriously and go out there and wrestle. I don't want to see models prancing around out there and skimpiness. I mean, if that's what I want, then... I can specifically go look for that, but when you know when I'm watching a pay-per-view with my kids, I want to see, you know, wrestling. Yeah. And at least we have that now. You know, the women's division is a women's division. It's the divas crap is gone.
0: Yep. No um, butterfly belt.
1: Very happy about that. I mean, we had a glowing belt for a while, which was fucking dumb. <sighs> but I just. You know, if you want to talk about Bret Hart, you know, Bret Hart left the WWE when it became a TV 14 world that he didn't fit into. And he came back to the WWE when it was a TV, you know, when it was a PG 13 world or TV PG world that he did fit into, you know, and um, I'm, I'm grateful for the last run we had with Bret Hart, you know, in the WWE. Uh, he definitely wasn't the Bret Hart of old, but. You know, we got to see him.
0: Yeah, you got to so. see the, the character of old, and not yes. the, the conflict with just what the status quo is, you know, going on around him. So, and yeah, that's really you know, you look at everything, and the big problem, the reason that everything just didn't feel right that last year or so, is that everything had changed around him already, and uh, you know, it just the whole
1: company the company as a whole went in a direction that he wasn't ready to go in yeah and a lot of people point at Brett in the screw job as the downfall of the Hart family in wrestling not a lot of people i've i've read that yeah because if you think about it you know davy and and jim left and went to the WCW and that's when davy boy broke his back in the ring damaged his back and then got became very, very addicted to drugs and eventually went back to the WWE. But that's kind of what cost him his cost him his life. You know, uh, Neidhart after WCW pretty much didn't have a career anymore in wrestling other than the independents, but he wasn't on the big screen scene anymore. And then, you know, Owen, obviously what happened with Owen just a year and a half later, you know, when his, his tragic death, um, it's just, it's, you know, it's,
0: it's. It's a sad story. The, the it only is sad. wrestling family story that is more sad than that is the story of the Von Erichs. Yeah. I, I can't yeah. think of any other one where there's, a, you know, a wrestling family with so much ability, so much prestige, such a big place that has had just such a precipitous downfall. So much downfall. tragedy.
1: Yeah. Yeah, really, the Von Erichs definitely do trump the hearts.
0: Yeah, and all it took was yeah. all of them killing themselves. God.
1: Jesus. Yeah, I know. Right. But uh, it's just, yeah. you know, because Brett came back when he first came back for the Hall of Fame and uh, was it 2006? That was awesome. Like and he came in, he didn't appear at WrestleMania. He didn't do anything else. He just, you know, he, he came in the Hall of Fame and oh, and uh he went out there and he basically said he did this for his fans and i liked his speech i loved how he just say hey you know like i'm i'm okay you don't have to worry about me i'm okay and it was it was you know honestly it was heart yeah i got emotional about it if you will um and then he agreed to do the the dvd you know the the best there is was and ever will be so that was awesome you know actually that was before the Hall of Fame. You know he agreed to do the DVD for his fans. He agreed to do the Hall of Fame for his fans. He wouldn't take any money from WWE on it, you know. And then eventually, you know, that famous January 4th, 2010, Shawn Michaels Vince Shawn Michaels and Bret Hart in the ring together. It was awesome. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was awesome seeing Bret back on TV, so. Um I if you haven't watched wrestling with shadows you definitely should Uh, you should get the I think if you can find the DVD there's like a two disc DVD set Uh, that's the one I have and it has a bonus documentary on there about Owen Hart and it's got additional footage uh, and uh, uh, it's like a 10th anniversary edition I think it is uh, it's got additional footage and an uh, additional interview and, and how things have changed. So definitely check out Wrestling with Shadows if you haven't seen it. I mean, do you did you watch that when it first came out?
0: Uh, I I don't know if it, I don't think it was when it first came out, but I did watch it because it was on Netflix. Yeah. Uh, I'll have to borrow that from you though, so I could watch that uh, additional content though, because I have not seen that.
1: When that first came out, I actually got it on VHS. That's how long ago it was because it came out in '97. Uh... I mean, it came out in 98. I got that on VHS and it was amazing because we got beyond the mat after that. But just the fact that that was the other thing that added to the is this must be a work is because of the documentary that was being done on Brett and it captured everything it did. I mean, I'm sure the documentary would have been good no matter what, but the fact that, you know, they followed his last year in the wwe and everything that happened and then the whole screw job and the initial post screw job stuff i mean it was amazing it was a view of wrestling that as a fan i couldn't believe i was actually watching so it was phenomenal um wwe has since done a good documentary they've done they did the the bret hart dvd they did another bret hart dvd um you know, uh, unreleased matches like the Dungeon Collection, they called it. They did a Brett versus Sean DVD where they actually do a sit-down talking to both of them, talking about and showing different matches that, you know, the Rockers against the Hart Foundation and then Brett and Sean's singles matches. I mean, some people, a lot of people forget they wrestled that Survivor Series in 1995 for the title. Mm-hmm. Was it ninety five? Hold on. No. 94. I think they wrestled Survivor Series 94 for the title when Sean was the Intercontinental Champion. Um, and then they've done the Hart Family release, which is a which is really good. If you haven't seen it, you should definitely check that one out. And then they recently did an Owen Hart release, which they hadn't done anything with Owen for a long time. I think because of Martha, and I Owen, I think needs to go into the Hall of Fame, and maybe someday he will. Um, but yeah. Yeah. So before we conclude this Bret Hart heavy episode, I want to touch on something that uh, happened this morning that uh, I I think it's sad. But the man was 91 years old, so it's not like he didn't have a good life. But the the voice of Memphis wrestling, Lance Russell, uh, passed away. This morning, October the 3rd, and um, if you don't know who Lance Russell is, I I feel bad for you if you're a wrestling fan because he called – started calling wrestling in Memphis territory in 1959 and yeah, for the local TV and every week him and Dave Brown, they were on TV for – Over 20 years together, calling Memphis Wrestling uh, every Saturday morning a 90 minute show that they did. And um, I I, I just. He is the voice. I mean, if you watch any of that old footage or that Andy Kaufman stuff, you know Lance's voice. It's so recognizable. I had the pleasure of meeting him in 2009 at NW Religions Fans Fest in Charlotte, North Carolina. And we uh, chatted in the lobby about Memphis wrestling and everything. And he was just such a great person to talk to. And he was a great guy. And, um, you know, the guy called wrestling for almost 40 years. And he should have been the guy to induct Jerry Lawler into the Hall of Fame. That's who Jerry Lawler wanted to induct him into the Hall of Fame. But, anyhow, what do you do? But yeah, so that's that. Anything else you want to add, Paul?
0: I don't think so. I think we talked about that all pretty thoroughly. Uh, it, you know, it's it's been kind of weird. I was I was going back and trying to kind of look at uh, what Bret Hart did with the WWE when he got into the championship picture and. He won the belt from Ric Flair at a house show.
1: And yes, yeah, I don't even
0: tune. I don't even know if that's on the network. I tried to find it one night and couldn't find it. Um, um,
1: I believe it's on. I mean, I, I believe you might be able to find it on an episode of primetime wrestling. I think they might have aired it. But I don't know if that's. I don't think Prime. No, because primetime I think ended and ends in 1989. So I know it aired on primetime at one point. It was on a home video at one point. I don't even know if I'm trying to think. I, don't, I know I know it's been released on, on one, a DVD recently, one of the newer DVDs. I'm just trying to think of which one it was. But anyways, yeah, he won the title from Flair house yeah. show.
0: So he won it at a house show, which is you know, kind of kind of hiding it away a little bit. And then he was the the champion for a while, and then he lost it to Yokozuna at the Royal Rumble in a match where you know he got screwed to lose it uh, by by outside interference. Um, yep. And then like the only big spectacle moment of his career before like he got into just all that kind of griminess that we were talking about towards the end was at WrestleMania ten when he uh, when he won the championship back.
1: Well, I think the better match on the show was him against Owen for the first time.
0: Well, I'm not talking about match quality. I'm talking about spotlight. Oh, okay. He won the championship in the spotlight at WrestleMania. WrestleMania. ten. And you know, after that, like every other time he won it, it was getting into that kind of later phase of his career at WWE where it was all starting to get muddled. You know, it was like <sighs> he that beat uh... was the, the the pinnacle of. Bret Hart being Bret Hart at the right time and getting the spotlight. and He beat... uh, Looking back, it was a little weird to see only kind of one real bright spotlight of him as champion like that.
1: He beat Kevin Nash at Survivor Series and got beat up after. Uh, He... But he was the champion. So he beat Kevin Nash at Survivor Series uh, in 95 for the belt. And then he... Because he had lost the title to uh, Bob Backlund, if you remember. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And then Kevin Nash won the belt, held it for like a year. He beat Kevin Nash for the title. And then he held that going into losing it to Shawn Michaels. And then uh, when he won the belt back, it was that Fatal Forward match they had at the pay-per-view. And then the very next night, he lost it to Sid and then he won the belt back at some at a, some SummerSlam when Shawn Michaels hit Undertaker with the title
0: that with was, the that chair. Was, uh, that was a great way they did that too. They did that well. Yeah.
1: And uh, so yeah, I mean I guess his his biggest shining moment of winning the title was WrestleMania 10. I mean out of his five championship reigns, that was the the most glamorized one.
0: Yeah. That was still my favorite WrestleMania I ever remember watching. The only one that I think is up there with it is uh, WrestleMania 30 with uh, you know seeing the, the story with Daniel Bryan and everything. But yeah, that one, I mean, there were a lot of good matches on that WrestleMania, too. There was the latter match with Shawn and Razor.
1: That was an um, excellent match.
0: The, the match you mentioned with uh, with him and Owen.
1: Fantastic um, match. Luger course. and Yokozuna was meh.
0: <laughs> I was just going to joke how great that match was, and you beat me to calling it the shit that it was. <laughs> yeah, yeah,
1: it was meh. You know, Leilani Kai wrestled Alundra Blaze on there. That was okay. Hey, speaking of Alundra Blaze, did you watch the documentary on WWE Network Trailblazer, the Alundra Blaze story?
0: I haven't watched it yet, but I know it's on there, and I've seen you guys talking about it. You need
1: to watch it. It is fantastic. That's still a hard push to me for everyone else that hasn't watched it yet. You need to watch it. It's fantastic.
0: Yeah, so I think that's it. Cool.
1: All right. Well, um, thanks for uh, joining me this week, Paul. So we can chat up uh, some Bret Hart action. Hey, wait. Before we go, Paul, you met Bret Hart. Yeah. I was with you. It was that big time wrestling show here in Augusta. Uh, how'd that treat you?
0: That was that was great. Um, I am not the type of person who usually gets, uh, you know. Choked up around celebrities or stuff like that, you know. Like we met a bunch of cool wrestlers that day. A lot of guys that I knew grew up watching and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, and it's like I didn't really have a lot to say to most of them, but you know. But you did the talking, so I don't really have to worry about that. <laughs> but man, Bret Hart, I definitely got that, uh, you know, starstruck feeling. Um, because he just, you know, like I said, he he has he was my yeah, the biggest person I was a fan of, period, for yep. my young life. Um, there aren't many other people that um, that are up there in my esteem like he is. Where when I meet them, like it, yeah, you, you, you just sometimes you meet somebody and they mean so much to you in so many different ways that you just don't know how to express anything. I think that kind of sums it up. So yeah. uh, I I got his autograph. I bought his book again because I, I had had it before, but when we moved from california to maine we got rid of a lot of stuff and i was like oh ah, whatever it's just a book yeah um so i bought it again had him sign it and i had him make it out to me and sam uh because uh that was yeah uh,
1: i remember that now
0: i don't even think sam was born then i think that was before he was born uh either that or he was less than a year old no
1: that was uh, he might think he was less than a year old
0: okay and it was one or the other um
1: yeah but, and it was your first wrestling show you'd gone to in a long time as well if I remember correctly.
0: Yeah, I the only re- I had been to three wrestling shows before that and it was in the uh, the 90s. And to give you a, a time frame for it, Undertaker was wrestling Mankind and that was like at the beginning of their first feud when Mankind came into WWF. Um, it was all around that time within a few year, you know, a couple of few years of that time. Uh Yeah. I went to a, a show in Anaheim uh, and I don't remember a lot of it, but like, I remember that match specifically. Uh, and then I went to two times the WCW came to the Lancaster, California fairgrounds, the Antelope Valley fairgrounds.
1: Um,
0: <laughs> my, my little hometown. Uh, those, those were fun. Like I remember those pretty fondly too. It was just so weird though. Being like, what the hell is WCW doing coming to freaking Lancaster? <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I'll always remember. I, I couldn't tell you very many specifics about them. I know I saw Hacksaw at least one of them. Hulk yep. Hogan was at neither. Um, but uh, it was, yeah, the, you know, I have fond memories of those, definitely. Um, but yeah, so this was the first time I had been to a wrestling show since then. Um, and it was, like, not only did they have a lot of legends uh, of wrestling there, which was cool for me, but they they had some good matches too, and one of the biggest surprises to me was seeing uh, Bushwhacker Luke really work, man. Yeah,
1: Bushwhacker Luke against uh, Cameron Matthews. I I too was kind of disappointed because I'm I'm a big Cameron Matthews fan at that time, and then to see oh they put him with Luke, this is gonna suck. And then it was actually very surprisingly a good match.
0: Yeah, that was that was a big surprise because I wouldn't have expected that because Luke, uh, you know, he was up there in age. Uh, but yeah yep. that was a lot of fun but yeah meeting Brett was real special um, I mean just out of like in any any kind of entertainment there aren't many people that I would really get choked up meeting um, Brett Hart was one of them but uh, you know, I asked him to make it out to me and my son and uh, yeah, he didn't say much he was fairly quiet but yeah, you know, he shook my hand and said good luck with your son and you know, it's such a small thing but like that's just something that'll always be a special memory for me definitely
1: yeah yeah, no, it was a uh, it was a decent day of wrestling. And um yeah. Sometimes you meet your heroes and you get disappointed. Uh, and that's definitely not the case with, uh, with the Hitman. Yeah. Um, because he is a very, you know, he's what we saw as the Hitman like we talked about earlier, his morality of everything, that's that's who he is. From what from what we've seen, you know, in, in our interactions with him, so yeah. Anyhow, cool. All right, well, uh, again, thanks, Paul. Um, you can uh, feel free if you have any questions, comments, or give us your opinions on on Bret Hart and the whole Montreal screw job and what you thought it was. Uh, you can reach us on the Twitter. I'm at Superstar You say your own, Paul, on the show.
0: <laughs> I'm very tired. That's why I didn't respond. Uh, I am at Who's Paul.
1: Uh, Don't forget you can reach out to uh, Aaron at Aaron S. Bell, Ronnie's Ron Bar 316. The show is uh, Thousand Holds Pod. Yep, I did that right. And then on Facebook, Podcast of Thousand Holds. So thanks.